Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. I want to start out by reminding you that we have an amazing digital course that's still for sale. And you should go check it out at wealthformularoadmap.com. This is a course that features the likes of the real estate guys, Tom Wheelwright, the tax guru, Robert Kiyosaki's tax advisor, Rich Dad advisor, Ken McElroy, Kevin Day, my personal asset attorney, Dean Graziosi, one of the most amazing entrepreneurs in my Rolodex for sure. And I don't know, just a number of other guys. I mean, this course is outstanding. You should owe it yourself to check it out. It's what I wish I had when I finished my residency and after I read Kiyosaki's books and I needed to know, okay, what next? Along with that, you get to be part of the Wealth Formula Network, which is my tribe. We're doing biweekly phone calls. We're talking about cool, cutting-edge stuff. There is collective intelligence going on there, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, check that out at wealthformularoadmap.com. Uh, by the way, you can still get a copy of my book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, uh, by simply going to wealthformula.com or texting me at 44222 and typing Wealth Formula. And that is one word, 44222, Wealth Formula. You know, it's funny when I go back sometimes and I listen to podcasts from when I first started and you know, it was a couple years ago. It wasn't that long ago. And I listen to myself, and I think, man, this guy is clueless. Now, of course, I wasn't that clueless. I still knew more than most about investing, and I think my philosophy was still uh, headed in the right direction. But, man, have I evolved. I mean, the key to that evolution, I have to say, though, is that my ability to not be dogmatic about anything has significantly improved. I mean, you know, dogma is a real problem. You know, sticking to your guns no matter what, not keeping an open mind. But that's tough, especially in the investing world. The paper people, you know, the stock market people, the, those people think that us real estate investors got it all wrong. And the real estate investors and the real asset investors look at them and think, gosh, what a bunch of idiots. You know, I used to believe, for example, that permanent life insurance was one of the worst investments you could make. Why? Because some other doctors told me that, right? When I just when I finished my training, a couple of guys told me it's the worst thing you can do. Permanent life insurance, just buy term, invest the difference, they used to say. I don't even know what that meant, but 
sounded sounded like they were smart. And while the policies they were looking at were likely not good investments, you know, because high-paid professionals never get anything that's actually worthwhile for them. It's all about the broker. So what they were looking at, maybe it wasn't good for them, and maybe it wasn't good in general, but I, I had no idea back then that products like Wealth Formula Banking or Velocity Plus existed. I didn't understand that those types of things existed until I actually realized that, hey, there's a whole bunch of people here with a ton of money who are really smart that are doing life insurance type strategies. That doesn't make any sense. There's got to be something to this. I went back and I dug and guess what? I found out that what those doctors were looking at didn't look anything like what the rich people were looking at. So the moral of the story, I hate to say it, but it's true. Never take financial advice from people who make less money than you do. And by the way, keep an open mind. People have trouble keeping an open mind, right? People have a nasty habit of picking camps and defending them, even if it's not in their best interest to do so. I mean, listen, look at modern politics. I'm sure you have, and you've wondered the same thing. I happen to be a libertarian-type guy who believes in small government, lower taxes, for, and that business generally you know, drives the economy, is good for everyone, but it also happens to help me. And, well, because of that, I tend to vote conservative in some manner or another, although even I have my limits when it comes to character flaws, etc., so I, I won't make it my only reason for voting for someone. On the other hand, why are people in the working class, you know, people who are trying to, you know, you know, have all of the reason in the world to want stuff from the government. Why are they voting for conservative candidates when it's against their own economic interests? Why? Because they don't know it's part of, it's against their own economic interests. They don't even know, right? Listen, it's not smart to be closed-minded and argue against things you don't understand. At least try to understand them first, right? That really ultimately is the moral of the story because I have realized that I've been guilty of this myself. And, you know, uh, talking to Christian Allen, who's um, our Wealth Formula Banking and Velocity Plus guy, he'll tell you the same. I mean, we're looking at Velocity Plus and, oh, you know, the, the whole life, the infinite banking guys, they, 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 they talk so, so badly against us. Why? Because they don't get it. They don't get it. I mean, I looked at this thing, and I've had a bunch of engineers look at this thing. I've had this thing gone through the ringer, and it's a really good product. I mean, it's really, really good product. So why are people talking against it? Because dogma. They don't even understand it, right? Anyway, that's why I asked this week's guest on Wealth Formula Podcast, Andy Tanner, to be on the show. Why? Well, I mean, Andy is not someone that we wouldn't have. I mean, after all, he's one of Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad advisors, right? But he also happens to be an expert on investing in paper assets. Yes, paper assets, a four-letter word, but he's on the show anyway. But, you know, I was looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it sounds almost paradoxical to use the name Kiyosaki and paper assets on the same page without some sort of expletive, doesn't it? Those of you who met Robert Kiyosaki know what I'm talking about. But listen, 
there had to be something to it, and I didn't really know what he was talking about. Why? Where does paper acids fit in with any of this stuff? Well, when you listen to Andy Tanner on our podcast today, it will make entirely sense why he's a rich dad advisor. You know, he's an equity market guy, yes, but he's all about cash flow. So how do you turn investing into the stock market into cash flow? Well, that's what you're going to learn all about from Andy today. So when we come back, Andy Tanner. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Andy Tanner. Uh, Andy is a renowned paper asset expert and the author of Stock Market Cashflow, the first book in Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad series to focus on paper assets as an asset class. And he's also the co-author of 401 Chaos, which I think is a very clever name for a book. Andy, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to our time together. This is going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. Now, why don't you start telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, you know, I understand you actually started out more interested in, in basketball than you did uh, <laughs> investing. So, where did where, where this all come from, Andy? <laughs> well, that's kind of dangerous because I wasn't a very good basketball player. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I can't jump, I can't foul, or I can't jump, I can't shoot, but I could foul. So they found a spot for me. There you go uh, on the team. But I did. I went to the University of Utah, uh, sat on the bench there, as kind of a bubble player. Uh, had a great coach in Rick Majerus though that taught me a lot about uh, about teamwork and setting goals. And when that was finished, I really, I really didn't know what I want to do. I imagine I'm a lot like a lot of your listeners, though, in that you know when you grow up, people say, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Right? And go to school, get good grades, all that type of thing. And put me in a bit of a point of decision. Some people get to that sooner in life, some later, where we decide, uh, you know, how serious we want to be about investing. I got pretty serious about it as a student, and that that choice to remain a student and and begin to study. Uh, assets and investing it made a big difference. Uh, and I can't say it's been all roses either. Yeah, sure. So we've had ups and downs like anybody else, but the ups about number of the downs and the relationships you grow and the, the lifestyle is, is a good thing. So I'm grateful for that choice. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. Uh, that's pretty much me. How did you end up getting involved with the Rich Dad organization and Robert? How did that all come to be? Well, I started off in, uh, you know, I, I 
after college, you got to make a living. So I got into sales while I was studying uh, investing. So I could sell anything. It was very comfortable for me. And, and I uh, became a speaker and got on the speaker circuit. And one day, they, they, uh, a company approached me and said, hey, we have a software program that helps uh, people trade online. I said, well, that's interesting. And uh, in order to sell it, you have to learn it. And the more I, I sold it, the more I learned it. And that's how I got into paper. And one day, uh, years and years and years ago, I just got a call. Someone gave my name to Robert Kiyosaki. They invited me to come to an event, an event in Phoenix. And he and I just uh, saw a lot of things the same way and, and uh, developed a friendship uh, over the years. And, uh, and that's how we got involved being a Rich Dad advisor. It's, so it was great. It's interesting because, you know, the, the last thing you typically think of when you think of Robert Kiyosaki is paper assets, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about 401 chaos because really I think, um, you know, that is – it's a very telling name. So sure. what's so chaotic about this 401k system? <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned something about Robert that, that he often talks about uh, paper assets, not not so much in a negative way about paper, but the idea of 401ks is not something he enjoys because there's not a lot of risk management there, especially for what we call systemic risk. I know you've had Jim Rickards on your show and other people, and I know a lot of your listeners are very savvy to know that we've got some rough water coming ahead systemically, meaning you know one stock might go bad, but when the whole system is rough, you know 401ks t tend to uh, Tend to have problems. So I'd say the chaos is a couple of three things. So you, you have uh, first the worker, the guy putting the money in. Uh, then you got Wall Street, who's investing the money, and then you've got the government, who lets you put it in their tax. So you have these three different types of, of people going together. And I'd say of those three parties, over time, uh, the worker gets the short end of the stick. Uh, there's not a lot of control there. There's not a lot of education there, and there's certainly a lot of uh, fees there. And if people were really to look at the other side of the coin and, uh, and take a look at the amount it costs to, uh, to pay someone to, to invest in a 401k for you, um, they get the lion's share of the money. So in short, that's, that's really what the book is about, is looking at the other side of that and uh, getting, a, getting a better picture. Yeah, so in terms of 401ks, where'd they come from and what you were know, they I, intended to do? You know, I, 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 hate, I hate to answer that question because we only have so much time together, but <laughs> it's a fascinating story. I think I'll start here. Uh, the first pension was developed in 1895 by the American Express Company. They actually weren't a credit card company. They were like UPS. Uh, they were like FedEx. They had a rail system, and they would deliver parcels. And they announced to their employees that if you worked there for 20 years, they would give you a pension. And Besides the priest, that was really the first one, and it caught on like wildfire. And, uh, you know, people began to unionize and say, hey, pensions are where it's at. And it really changed education. It changed America because now instead of just, you know, going on the farm or going in the military, now, you know, you want to go to college and get a good job and, and get your pension. You'd never be rich, but you'd at least have some security of a pension. Well, in the 1960s, the Studebaker Company got in trouble. And they, were, they had all these pensions to pay. They were going out of business. And all these workers said, well, if you guys go out of business, how are we going to get our pensions? And so they went to President Kennedy and said, what can you do about this? And he said, ask not what this country can do for you. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so Kennedy was assassinated, and Johnson didn't do much with it. And Nixon said, I'm not a crook, but he kind of was. And, right. and, then, uh, and then we had President Ford. And in 1974, 
uh, present forward almost a hundred years after that first uh, first uh, uh, pension, he signed something called ERISA, called the employee, uh, you know, the employee security uh, retirement income, you know, ERISA, employee retirement security income, and uh, act and and ERISA had a little body in it called the uh, PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, where now pensions companies that had pensions had to pay insurance against going bankrupt. You just create a lot of enmity and a lot of regulations, and it made pensions harder to do. Well, four years later in 1978, there was an attorney named Ted Bennett. He's a great guy. Didn't mean to do this, uh, but he was working for uh, his – he was an attorney, working a tax attorney, and he was helping a client, which was a bank. And there was a little tiny uh, – this was in 1980. And in 1978, there was a little change made to the tax code where rich executives that would get bonuses could park that money tax-deferred in this little thing called Section 401K. It was, it was very arcane, very tiny. No one really knew about it. And two years later, Ted Bennis said, hey, uh, to this bank, he said, hey, you know, if we matched companies with bon employees and gave them bonuses and had them match it, we could actually shift the burden of retirement onto them. And once they retired, you know, they have this little lump sum that they've saved, and you would no longer have that liability. And this bank said, this would save us millions. And he said, well, yeah, it would. They said, well, how come we haven't been doing this? He goes, it's never been done before, and they ran. They said, this sounds like this is a bad idea. So Ted Bennett actually went back to his office, told his bosses, they said, well, we're going to do that here in the law firm. And so he did it in his own law firm, and that's where the 401K was born. And I'll tell you, Buck, here's the big thing for smart guys to realize about that change. Is before this, the pension was a cash flow-based system. In other words, when you retire, you didn't get any assets bought, and you didn't pay off any liabilities. You just had income. It was a cash flow system that lasted for life. So you'd never run out of money. You wouldn't be rich, but you know, you, you'd have cash flow. Well, now this shifted to a net worth issue. Now you're going to have this big lump sum that wasn't so much about cash flow. It was about net worth. And once you go off and have that sum, well, where are you going to get your cash flow for? Usually it doesn't keep up with your spending. And the chaos of that is that people are going to run out of money. And that's what they're scared of. Working till 70, 75, 77 by saying, hey, if I live till 85, I won't have enough money in my lump sum to live on. Right. And that's that's why we like ca to pay for assets for cash flow rather than capital gains. So, so when the, um, the pension system in part ultimately didn't work because people well, – part were living too long right I mean, so, yeah. well, that's so certainly part of it that's, that's part, of it. part of it and then you um, get this 401k thing that ultimately allows employers to shift the burden hey we don't need to pay a pension anymore let's right. have them let's have them pay for it but then where where andy where did the whole thing kind of evolve into effectively a way for wall street to leach all of our retirement funds how, how did that well, how did that come is, into that's, this that's a great that's a really question that's right in the bullseye is is once you had 401ks you know being shifted over to relieve you know corporations of that burden uh wall street used their marketing muscle and and i'll tell you think about the 1950s and 60s no one put their money in the stock market that was for big rich aristocrats the average guy said that was too risky and that's in the 50s when it was it wasn't that volatile and so this was a very risky thing and they said gee whiz now that this is the norm you know we can collect fees the the big the big 
phrase on Wall Street is assets under management, right? That's right. it. Right. The more money you can get into the firm, the more fees you get to skim off the top. And so the 401k was a dream for Wall Street because now it became the norm. And people, you know, if you have a real estate investor like Kenny McElroy, I can't imagine him buying a property without knowing like maybe the net operating income or the cap rate. But now you have people investing on autopilot knowing nothing about what they're putting money in on a regular basis. And they put that money in there, whether the market's going up, down, or sideways, thinking that they're dollar cost averaging. But all the time, Wall Street will take those fees up, down, or sideways. So think of it this way, maybe, Buck, is you put your money in and you're hoping to get 5 or 6% a year, and you're taking all the risk. Well, they're taking no risk. Um, their return is infinite, whether it goes up, down, or sideways with no risk. Think about that for a minute. Wall Street has an infinite return and no risk. Why? Well, none of their money's in the deal. They just yeah. take money uh, from yours. Yeah, that's so what I'm trying to figure time. out, though, is how, how did they pull that off? I mean, certainly there's a marketing machine there. Certainly there's a way to convince people that they ought to do it. But listen, I've, I've never had a 401k myself, but from people who I talk to, they don't have, uh, unless they're doing a solo 401k and they're self-employed right. or whatever, they don't have a lot of choices. I mean, they're literally told you can invest in this, which is a Wall Street-based product, or you can sit in cash. You can't go invest things on your own. Yeah, How did that happen? I think the big thing is what didn't happen is during this pension time, it was about really getting a college education, getting a job. So most of the education we got in school was career-guided, career-oriented. What do you want to be when you grow up? Choose a major, you know, go to the job fair after graduation to get a job. All of our education was about uh, professional, get, getting a skill to work for money. There was almost no education on how to invest in real estate, oil, gold, assets, build a business, or invest in stocks. And so since this was not a life skill for us, it's not something we learned, it was very easy for Wall Street to say, well, we'll just do this for you. Give us your money. We'll invest it for you, but we're going to take the fees. So it was really the lack of, of education on the investor's part because there's nothing that says I have to put money in a 401k and that I can't take that money and invest it in something that's self-directed for myself where I make the choices. And I think the reason people leave that up to others is they don't feel confident in being able to do that. And you bring up a good point here. You know, is, is investing a skill for hire? Is it a life skill? You know, I brush my own teeth, but I hire the dentist to do the root canal, right? Right. And so when it comes to money, a person has to decide, is this like brushing teeth? Is this something I should learn? Or am I going to really believe that it's so complicated that other people have to do it? Well, and, it and it's not, because all a mutual fund is, they just diversify out anyway. You could throw darts at a stock chart and do just as well as those guys. Right. Well, and then beyond that, unfortunately, it seems like a lot of the employers, at least according to people I've spoken to, they, you know, effectively are given options. They can do option A, B, and C, and they're all mutual right. funds. They don't really have any options, even if they wanted to invest their own money. So if you have a 401k and you're in that situation, Andy, what do you do? Well, you know, when I, I have, uh, when people read my book, I get that question a lot, right? Hey, I want to get out of this. The fees are bad. I'm taking all the risk, all this but the reality is you don't want to go from the frying pan uh, into the fire. So the first question a person has to answer for themselves, and, and there's good news here because it can be learned, 
is, you know, if I went to medical school, you, if you can pass the boards and, and do well on an MCAT, you certainly have the intellectual prowess to invest well. In fact, you're probably smarter than most of the, uh, you know, if you're an engineer and you got an engineering degree, you have the, the IQ and the attention to detail to be able to do this probably better uh, than the people are actually managing your money. So, you know, I would not go to my neighbor to, to do out, drill out my root canal if I was better at it or could be better at it than he was. And so that's the first decision to make is do I want to put a little time and energy in learning a little bit about investing? And if the answer to that is yes, boy, that's a bright future because no one will put in the time you will and no one cares more about your money than you. And when someone decides they want to put in that time, what I would say, though, Buck, is uh, – just as if, uh, let's say, a person was a biologist or or a, a, a sociologist, I wouldn't claim to learn that in five minutes. Sure, you know, it does take a little time to learn it, but in a in a you know in a year or two of real effort on your financial education, you can be as smart as as any money manager. I think, anyways, most of them, anyhow. So it really comes down to a choice: uh, education first, and then investing second. Yeah. And there's all kinds of places to get that. You know, your podcast, reading, you know, there's great books on investing. I mean, it's sure. you, know, you can learn anything you want to learn in in the world. Practically speaking, say I have a program and my um I want to do this. I want to learn finance because that that's describing my listeners, right? They want to learn. They're in, interested in it. But they've got a 401k at work that matches Yes. Oh, that's so now, what do you do? <laughs> well, get because before, you you know, well, yeah, if it's an option of either investing through your 401k or not investing in a 401k, well, then you might say, well, maybe I should do something self-directed. Maybe I should do a self-directed IRA or something like that. But now you've got this. You've got this um, this thing that's seducing you into staying. So what what do you say to people about that? That's a wonderful question. I love your word. It, it is seductive because it gives the illusion of free money. So the first thing I'll say is that's not free money. You earned it, and all they did is take it away when they took away your pension, and now they have to match. Well, if a person gets a, a match, and, and the matches are getting smaller and smaller, a lot of people don't get one. But even with the match, once they give you that match, you have to look at what rate you're compounding at and do a little math. It's pretty simple math to do. You know, if you can do 10% and they're only doing six, um, that match over the long term is not as powerful as your rate of return. In the compounding formula, you have your principal, which that's all they're really adding to is principal. Then you have your time, which you don't have much of, but then you have your rate of return. And if you feel strongly that you can get a better rate of return than just following the market, you know that's all they do is just follow the broad market. You know, S&P goes up, you go up. S&P goes down, you go down. But if you feel confident in, in your ability to get better returns in real estate, better returns in commodities, and better returns in paper than, than those guys can offer you, uh, that's a big deal. The other thing I would say, Buck, that's very important about that match is how much of the growth are, are they really taking? People would be astounding to read John Bogle's work, uh, the, the founder of Vanguard, that over a lifetime – it's pretty easy for those guys to take 80% of the profits. So while, yeah, they might be matching your principal a little bit, 
when they take 80% of the compounding on the other side, it's not as rosy as a pitcher. And it's kind of like a bass, you know, sitting in that, sitting in that, uh, in that lake, looking up at that, that match saying, gee, is that real food? Or was that bought at Bass Pro Shop? You know, should right. I really buy it on that or not? And it might look like something more from Bass Pro Shop once you really look at what that match really is and what it does. Yeah, and to your point, too, I think it's, you know, this is a question I get a lot from people, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. But to, it's a question I think everybody has to ask. And one of, one of the other things to consider is that most of the options that people are getting are, are various types of, of of mutual funds. And if you look at the average performance of mutual funds over the last couple of decades, but it's about three and a half percent once you take away all the fees, et cetera. So, so you know what, it might be seductive. It may, it may not sound, um, it may sound like a tricky thing if someone's giving you quote unquote free money, but do the math. Right. So uh, let's shift a little bit. Now you're a little bit different from most guests that are on Wealth Formula podcast because you invest in paper in the stock market but you do it differently from most um can you describe a little bit about your approach to this stock market and specifically how you can turn the uh, the stock market into a cash flowing machine sure sure there's uh there's hundreds of ways to do it and uh probably one of the great models uh for this would be warren buffett and we, we talk a lot about this as one of the first lessons we give people is there's an illusion that Warren Buffett would buy a stock and hold it till he dies. That's not true. Um, and he'll tell you that's not true. And one of the things that Buffett does that I think is interesting is he loves to sell options. He, he's not a buyer so much unless it's protection. But he loves to sell. And uh, I'll give you an example um, of one of the things he did. You know, he built a large position in Coca-Cola. And he actually got paid to build that position. In other words, let's say you look at a stock. We're doing this right now in U.S. Steel. I've got one of these on Micron right now. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of an example. Micron is at $36 right now. And I say, you know, I'd be willing to buy it at 30 if someone gave me $1.50 a share. And by making a promise to buy something cheaper than it is today, I get cash flow of about, oh, it's about Four percent on my money per month, and so that might be a little technical, might be a little wonky, but think of it in this big picture way: in a 401k, you're paying fees to build your asset column. You're paying fees to build it up. If you sell put options to acquire stocks, you get immediate cash flow up front. You don't have to wait till you get a long white beard to get that cash flow. And if the if the stock goes up, you keep the premium. If the stock goes sideways, you keep the premium. If the stock goes down, you get the premium, and you get to buy your stock at a discount. Mm-hmm. And so that's just one very simple strategy we have. And, and once people learn just that one, they realize that is less risky than buying stock on its own um, because you were going to buy it anyway and had a downside anyway. And yet when you get paid up front for doing what you're planning on doing anyway, it, it's a game changer. So in the big picture, if, if people didn't understand that, it's simply this. Would you rather pay to build your asset column or would you rather get paid to build your asset column? We choose the latter. And then once we own the stock, there's lots of things we can do to cash flow where it's more like that pension. It's more about the cash flow than the balance sheet. 
than the net worth. Are you specifically talking about dividend paying stocks then at that point? Or? Um, you know, you can, you know, Verizon pays a nice dividend and they're optionable, but dividends, you know, generally, you know, you might get, uh, you know, a really good dividend might be four to 5% right. on a really good dividend, right. which isn't much. Um, these, you know, when you learn about uh, combining your stock with the safety and protection of options and also the income producing power of being an option seller, like Buffett is and like Soros, uh, those numbers go way, way, way up. The yeah. downside is this. The downside is much like an insurance company. You know, when you, when you collect premium, that's a pretty nice gig because you didn't have to make anything, manufacture anything, ship anything. So when you collect a premium, that's a pretty nice gig. Where it's not a nice gig is when you have to pay a claim. And so that's very much the, the same thing with the options. You must have an education. Uh, but if you do, it's a lot of fun and it's it's very lucrative. So let me let me kind of give a few examples because I think a lot of people in uh, this audience are probably not going to be terribly familiar with options, and I'm certainly sure. no pro. But let's give an example of a of an interesting play. Say I want to buy Amazon stock. People might just yeah. go and buy Amazon stock. So what you're saying is, well, how about instead of buying the stock? I buy an option to buy the stock at maybe 10% less than its current listing, like a put. That would be called a put, right? Well, you know, in the way that we do it, I'd actually probably get on the other side of the trade. For example, if I wanted to buy some, some Amazon stock, let's say, for example, uh, there's someone else that, uh, that wants to sell it to me. You know, they're, they're nervous that it might go down or... Or you have to think maybe they've got a bunch of it held and it's in a pension fund and they say, look, if it goes down a, b below a certain level, we, we definitely want to sell it. Well, that's where the smart guys like Buffett want to buy. Does that make sense? Yeah. He, often, he said something like this. He once said that, uh, uh, that when, when people are greedy, be fearful. But when people are fearful, uh, that's when to be greedy. Right, right. right. And, and so that's kind of his, his mantra. So Buffett loves to sell options to people. So let's say you wanted to sell your Amazon at a certain price, and I wanted to buy it at that certain price. I'd promise you to buy your stuff. I'd say, yeah, I'll buy your, I'll buy your Amazon uh, from you, no problem. But you've got to give me some cash flow. You've got to give me a premium up front to do that. So what it does is it puts me in a situation where I get to buy low uh, every time but I'm creating cash flow every time as well because I get paid up front. In fact, it'd be interesting to actually use Amazon, for example, on this podcast. I don't want to get too wonky, too detailed. No, I want we want we have some smart people here, and I know people are wondering how this all works right now. So please do. And it's not even it's not even just uh, you, you know it's the same with real estate. I mean, real estate you get paid for selling a contract called a rental agreement, right? I mean, that's really what you get paid for is uh, is just selling a promise. You know, I promise you can stay uh, in my house for a while or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So if but if you were to bring up uh, an options chain and let's go out, oh, like a month. OK, let's just go out uh, a month on uh, on Amazon dot com. Uh, and let's bring up some strikes. I'll just bring it up on my computer right now just for fun. I can bring that up. Uh, a put option right now, Amazon is trading at $1,600 as we speak, give or take a buck. And let's say you said uh, you'd be willing to pick it up at uh, 1580 You know, if I were to look at their chart, 
uh, of Amazon. Let's just see where they are just for fun. I've never done this on a podcast before. <laughs> you know, there's, there's some support. Actually, there's a really nice support line at $1,550. Uh -huh. So at $1,500, there's a nice support line where you say, hey, maybe I want to buy the dip. So I might be sitting as an investor saying, hmm, if Amazon drops, you know, down to, uh, you know, fifteen fifty, if it drops 50 bucks, maybe I'm a buyer. I'm going to buy it anyway. And that's how most stock investors would think. I'm going to, I'm going to buy Amazon. If it drops 50 bucks, I get it on sale. But if I come over and, and I look at a, uh, an option that's like a month away of Amazon, let's just scroll down and get these, uh, close to the money here. Uh, for a fifteen fifty right now, they would pay me twenty one dollars a share. So if I were going to pick up a hundred shares, they would pay me two thousand one hundred dollars to buy that stock at that discount uh, today, and I would get that money up front. And so that's that's kind of what we do. Well, that isn't kind of. That's exactly yeah. what we do. Yeah. If, and if and if it doesn't if it doesn't go there by ex the expiration of the option, you just keep the money. That's right. I keep that two grand. If if it goes up, you know, sixteen twenty, sixteen thirty, good for Amazon. But I keep that cash. I keep that cash. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, an interesting math on this. People say, well, you know, that doesn't sound like much, right? I mean, I can get, uh, you know, we'll call it twenty one dollars right here. You know, and you say, well, gee, that's that's fifteen hundred dollars for the stock. Well, if I take twenty one dollars, and I divide it by fifteen hundred. You know, but then you times that out over time, over a year. That's actually not too bad. It's not that nasty. So yeah, it's you can you can get paid for buying things that you already uh, planned on buying, and that's just one example of, of getting cash flow from selling an option. Well, let me and ask you look, before we move on to that one. I'm curious about this because I I like that potential option, and and I think Robert Kiyosaki likes buying these what he calls naked puts, right? So it's similar to try to get into. What's yeah, that? It's actually it's selling a cash covered put is what it is. Right, yeah. right. So, um, so cash covered put, and 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 so, so effectively, um, what happens though if if boom, all of a sudden there's a twenty percent correction? Now you're stuck with this stock. How how do you mitigate against that? I mean, because that you know certainly if you want to buy into something at a certain price, but. It's a great question, and it's a beautiful question. You know, if we were to take this Amazon example and, and annualize it, right now, you know, that far deep into the money, that's about 17% a year on your cash, 17% a year on your cash. So whether it goes up, down, or sideways, that's 17% a year on that cash. But you're right. If Amazon were to drop, you know, huge, then you say, well, now I'm stuck with this stock. So let's talk about in two ways. Well, first of all, that's what a lot of people do with the 401k anyway. That's a risk they take anyway. Sure. But, but the other thing they don't realize is unlike an insurance contract that's kind of in stone or, or rental contracts that's in stone, is the market is insanely liquid. Uh, we, we can buy and sell anytime we want. And so if a person begins to see that something's, uh, something's going down, you're actually not stuck with it. These are liquid contracts. You can get rid of them at will. Uh, you're going to take a loss once in a while, but it's going to be a, a mitigated loss. It's going to be a small loss based on your position size. So the fact that these are liquid and agile, you know, here's a bigger picture point than the minutia of, of, uh, of one specific contract. Every asset class has really good stuff about it. There's not one that's better than the other. They just bring really good things. For example, real estate 
is a great place to short the dollar. It's a great place to borrow money, and it's a great place for tax benefits. Benefits of business are huge because you leverage other people's uh, education, other people's effort, other people's experience, other people's energy expertise. We call it OPE, other people's everything. One of the advantages of stocks, it, well, there's four big ones. One is that it's liquid, meaning that in a business, it's really hard to clear your inventory without a good sales team. And in real estate, it's hard to get rid of real estate quickly because you got to pound a sign in the front yard. Um, but in stocks, I can click a button and be liquid again. So I'm not really scared of things going down because I can sell so fast. I don't have to hold it for a year. They're agile. I can short stocks. I can make, thing, make money when they're going down. I can get leverage with options with no debt. Um, there's just so many, you know, it's scalable. Uh, it's tough to get into real estate if a guy's only making, if a guy doesn't know how to raise money and he's only making 100 grand a year, you know, okay, great. You've saved up $100,000. You could buy, you know, two houses maybe. Uh, if you're not great at raising money, it's tough to get in that business. But with paper, you can do the same trades Warren Buffett does. You'll just do it at a smaller scale. Let me ask you so this, Andy. So you typically, you know, and you talk to your advice, your, you know, if, if you talk to a wealth advisor, and we're, mm -hmm. we're not fond of wealth advisors around here very much, but, <laughs> but if you, you talk to them and they typically will tell you, well, you know, the average return on the market might be 7 or 8% per year. If you do things in a way that you're talking about, what do you think more realistic? I mean, I'm not asking you to give any advice or performance, sure. but I mean, what 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 do you think is a good year in the market? I mean, don't tell me about you know don't don't necessarily talk about sort of the sort of unusual years we've had in right. the last couple where you know there seems some irrational stuff going on. But what do you expect? I mean, what's good return when you use these additional layers to amplify your your um, sure. yield? Well, the best, the, the best legal answer I would give <laughs> is you do somewhere for making a billion dollars and losing everything you have. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. right. But, in real, but in reality, when, when you look at this, if a person were to tell me that they were making you know, 2% in a month on a covered call, uh, that would not strike me as odd at all. Not right. one bit. Mm -hmm. If someone said uh, that, that they, had, they were able to make 10%, I'd say, well, you're smoking some Colorado-grade marijuana right there right, at 10% right. a month, right? 10% mm -hmm. a month is out of control. Now, there's there's uh, options that, that can do that, but they'd be isolated, and you have to count your, your losses too. I, I guess the best question is, is with the right education, uh, could people be doing better than they are right now? And the answer to that is an absolute yes. So if you're asking me if I would guarantee someone 20% a year, you know, I don't know what their discipline's like. I don't know what their education's like. But if you're asking me if someone can do better than they're doing right now, I would say absolutely yes. And if I, if what kind of returns are you getting, Andy? Day. Well, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't share that too often. But it is not, it is not common for me to have a month where I can do 10 percent. The best yeah. way, the best way is you look in our mentor club of right. what we're doing in the mentor club. Yeah. That would be the best gauge. And uh, we do very well in our mentor club. You know, people come in, they watch, and, and we all do everything on paper. Everything's on paper, so it's all practice. But that's the best way to find out because it really doesn't matter what I get, and it really doesn't matter what you get. It matters right. what the student gets, what the person gets. And the best way to find that out is to paper trade. Now, um, paper trade. one question on the – one more question specifically about this, which is 
the tax situation. Obviously, these are not um, necessarily tax uh, um, sheltered vehicles, right? So if you're making an income, you're basically just you're paying ordinary income on that, right? You know, I, I would say that the that real estate has a much more favorable tax situation than paper would. And depending on how your business works, there's great benefits for paper. However, there are some things, you know, and this is Tom Wilwright's world, not mine, so he's yeah. a better person to ask than me, but I will tell you what I do know about it. Number one, if you're only talking about retirement, if, uh, if you want to be wealthy later on, I, I think that people, they, they get the idea that, well, you can get in an IRA because your tax bracket will be lower when you're old. Well, I don't want to be poor when I'm old. And so the Roth IRA is an option for people that would like to grow all that money tax-free. And the strategies that we talk about, some people say, oh, you can't do options in IRA. That's false. You can write covered calls in IRA, and you can sell cash-covered puts in an IRA, which are the two most basic option strategies for cash flow. So you can do it with zero tax if all you care about is retirement money, uh, absolutely zero tax. You don't get better than zero tax in any asset class. Uh, for people that want to do this this earlier, you can do another an, another couple of things. You can declare what's called active trader status. And if a person makes a certain number of trades and a certain number of movements in their in the and you can talk to your accountant more about this, but if they make a certain amount of moves in their in their account, they can qualify for active trader status, which gives you uh, much, much better tax advantages in trading paper. So there's always a way to do it, you know, when you talk to your accountant. Sure. Um, but yeah, there are some options. I don't think they're as good as real estate, and I don't think they're as good as business for the average person. But someone who gets serious about it, well, they either go with the Roth, which is zero, or they can declare active trader status. Right. So obviously you're really good at, and very well known at teaching this stuff. Now you have some courses in mentoring groups and all sorts of. Can you can you tell us a little bit about those? Well, we, we take on students that are pretty serious about it. We're pretty hardcore about it. Um, the Probably the biggest thing we do with our students is every Monday we do this for real. We, we use a simulated trading account, but we do real stocks, real real prices. And what's fun is you asked about you know gains and losses is everyone gets to see the gains and the losses week to week. I mean, there's no way we can pick a stock today, and you know if it goes down tomorrow, there's no way to – you know, to hide that fact, I and mean, it goes down. So you get to see it in a very, very real way. The disadvantage of it, though, is that a person who's casual about it would not enjoy what we do because it does take some time to learn it. Yeah. And it's like anything else. And so our students, they're pretty dedicated. They're, they're pretty interested in learning it, and they don't miss class. You know, they do a good job that way. And they're, they're patient in learning it. Um, but it, can, it is a learned skill. So that's probably the flagship uh, yeah, we have other stuff people could look at, but uh, I wouldn't even start with that, though. To tell you the truth, um, you know, paper assets might not even be right for someone. Real estate or business might be better. Sure. And so I would start by reading books before I would get in a class or commit to anything long term. Paper trade a little bit. Find out if you like it before you, you commit to, you know, uh, a, a class. Because once you start getting into education... It's a lot like choosing your major. You want to be really locked in on what you want to do and really serious about it. So I would start with just books on investing, uh, read three or four of them from different authors, get different perspectives, and then see if that's an asset class you want to dive into. Where can we, where can we learn more about the things that you're doing? 
Well, uh, if you Google me, I think there's a football player named Andy <laughs> Tanner that you can learn about, too. I think he's a wide receiver somewhere for, for the Saints or something. But if you Google me, my, my actual training academy is called the Cashflow Academy, and people can go there, and uh, we have free stuff they can look at and you know check out if, if they think paper is something they'd like to learn a little bit more about. But uh, you could really just start with, with books. You know, we have uh, a book on a couple of books on Amazon they can get. My uh, at 401chaos.com, I actually give 401chaos away for free. I think it's that important if they don't mind a digital copy and they can learn a little bit about that 401k stuff. But I would start light, I would start small, I would start easy and keep listening to podcasts like yours to get information. You know, it's funny, uh, Andy, you mentioned uh, Googling Andy Tanner. Um, you know what happens when you Google Ken McElroy? Oh, I can't imagine what. <laughs> you know, I have an adult filter on my. Uh, no, on my actually, it's kids, terrible. So. Apparently, there was. No. I was talking he's to. A, uh, he's a murderer. He's a murderer, yeah. yeah and it's really I, funny because you know how Google has, like, people who search for uh, such and such, um, you know, and, they, and yeah, a bunch yeah, of people. Yeah. So it's a picture of, you know, I, I searched you yesterday to find out some of your, you know, your background and, and your sites. And there's Andy Tanner, there's Robert Kiyosaki, and then there's Ken McElroy, and it's a picture of a serial killer. <laughs> so I've never actually Googled it, but I've heard that. I've heard that before. And that's, and you know what, Kenny, we like to give him a little smack once in a while. And, you know, what's funny is, is it couldn't be, um, more he's, opposite. Kenny is so he's such wonderful. a nice guy, nicest guy on earth. Oh, seriously, he does so much for his community and food drives, and his company does so much charity work. It's he's just fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I'm lucky to know him. Lucky to know him. Yeah. Well, listen, Andy, this has been really fun, and uh, I want to thank you again for being on Wealth Formula Podcast today. Awesome. Really fun to uh, to talk and and speak a little bit and. I uh, hope we can come back again. You know, this is an exciting time in the market. There's a lot to talk about. And I just wish you and all of your listeners the best of luck and encourage people to find uh, find the asset classes that they like and the ones they feel good at and uh, and just go for it. You know, l- investing is a life skill, man. It's not a skill yeah, for hire. It's a absolutely. life skill. It's like brushing your teeth. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. We'll be right back. Thanks, Thanks so much. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. Andy is awesome, isn't he? I mean, he is a really, really good teacher. And I really, uh, he's hes so passionate about this. Makes me want to go and, and buy options, you know. I mean, listen, I think it's worth looking into. If you've already got stocks, especially, you know, you might think about how to sort of rearrange things. Maybe you have some, you know, you you know, maybe your your wife or your husband is making you keep money in the stock market. I hear that story all the time, by the way, which is like, I want to do this, but my wife won't let me. <laughs> it's so sad. But listen, if you got to keep it there, you know, become an expert. Try to learn a little bit about it. Don't be blind and just hand your money over to somebody else. Maybe this, maybe there's an opportunity there. Now, if you enjoyed that discussion about options, by the way, you will be very happy to know that Andy actually gave us a little encore. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, he recorded a video uh, because he felt like it was a little difficult to explain the example he gave about the Amazon options. So he, right after we got done recording, he flipped on a, sh- a screen share and recorded it and just went through the example 
So if you're interested in learning more about how that whole thing works, he does a really neat little screen flow where he draws it out and simplifies it. And he's just a really good teacher. Go to wellformula.com and go to the show notes uh, for this show and check it out. There'll be a link there and, and you can watch Andy's video about how that option example work that uh, Warren Buffett uses. Now, by the way, if you want another example of something that Warren Buffett does and that not a lot of people know about, you should check out the webinar I did explaining the concept of life settlements. Uh, you can find that under the Investment Opportunity tab. Now, Warren Buffett in Berkshire Hathaway invests $600 million per year in this very, very, uh, you know, not well understood or revealed asset class that is life settlement. So certainly go check that out. And finally, uh, Phil, my assistant, has made it easy for you to give this show a five-star review by putting an icon on wealthformula.com once and for all. I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, why is it so hard to give reviews on iTunes? Have you ever tried doing this? I've done, you know, it is a, most of the time it's, it's not obvious, right? It's totally like, yeah, you click on this button, you click on that button and you're like, wait, how do I leave a review? And this is coming from Apple. Come on. Anyway, we made it easy. All you have to go is do is go to wealthformula.com, click on the icon and you can give me a five star glowing review and tell the world why you like Wealth Formula podcasts, what you do. And it's not for my ego, really. It is because these rankings and your subscribing to the show, all these things make a difference in our iTunes rankings. And uh, by the way, we're a top 10. Uh, we're top 10 in the subcategory of investing right now. So we're doing something good. But we want to keep that up. And we want to keep that up because it helps to attract high quality people uh, to the show. And that is good for all of us. Anyway, that is it for me this week. This is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Save You with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.